As I said earlier, uh, we're looking again at the second coming. And last week, I finished on a verse, and that was uh, verse 17. And noted that verse 17 is one of the key verses, one of the earliest verses that we have in the New Testament that explains very clearly what will happen on at the second coming. So I only read the verse without trying to explain it. So let me read it again as we look at this verse, because again we're trying to get a view of what the Bible teaches about this great event. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now you remember that uh, last week we spoke about the soundtrack of the second coming. The loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, enough to raise the dead, and it will, and it will. The dead in Christ will hear, such is the noise. It is not a quiet coming. Those of you who don't like a lot of noise, all right, sorry. I'm sorry about that. But my job is to explain what's in the scripture. The Lord will not come in a still, small voice, although he does that time and time again in our lives. On this event, everyone will know. Now, as the dead in Christ are risen, so those who are still alive, who are believers, will be joined with those resurrected believers. And we read in verse 17, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. Caught up together with them in the clouds. Again, I'm reminding you of the context of the question. Because the question that these people had asked Paul in the light of his teaching, which we don't have fully, but in the light of some of the things that he said, they asked the question, well, do you know what about the people who die before the second coming comes? Are they going to miss out? And he reminds them, no, 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 no. no they're not going to miss out at all. Actually, they're going to precede you. They are going to be risen first, and then you're going to join with them and meet the Lord in the clouds. In other words, those you're worried about will go first, and you'll be taken up together with them to meet the Lord. Now, once again, I, I, I do apologize because I'm, I'm trying my best to keep to 1 Thessalonians, but I can't help it. I've got to digress. I've got to. I haven't got a choice just for you to understand. And, 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 to, and to look in a bit more detail, because the footnote I want to put in here is the footnote of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, 52, and 53, 54, they help us, they give us a bit more insight into this event. And listen to it. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep 
but we will all be changed. There's going to be a change happening. The change has already happened in the, in the resurrection. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, remember that? We've already seen that in Thessalonians. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. We're going to be changed. For the perishable, that's us, you're perishable. I'm so sorry. You've got a sell-by date, okay? Our bodies have a sell-by date, and we know that. You know, we know that, and we feel that, many of us. For the perishable, now, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal, us now, with immortality. Verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. I love this, Isaiah 25, 8. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Whoa! Death, that last enemy. Death that's caused us, all of us, the loss of friends and family. Death will be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. Death for those in COVID who are in Christ. They will have the victory and be raised again alive. Now, there's a lot here. But let me very, very carefully explain it to you. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me say it in a few sentences. Number one, all believers will have new bodies as seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those who have died will have a new body, and those who are still alive, our bodies somehow will be transformed. Now, that's hard to imagine. I admit that. I'm not sure I could put that in a movie. If I was the director of a movie trying to do that, I really don't know how I would deal with it. And it's worth noting that in the history of art and in the history of biblical art, Old and New Testament, you have thousands of pictures of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thousands. You have thousands even of the resurrection and angels. You have incredible art that goes back to the Old Testament and all the heroes of the Old Testament. We could go on. You don't have much good art about the second coming. And you can do, you can go to wiki art and you can look it up. It's a great site. And you can see some of the great art there. And do you know the second coming? And the art of the second coming, when you even look at some of the art that comes out, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with a few exceptions of a great Victorian artist, John Martin. And he is out in this world. If you want to look him up, not now, not now, okay, all right, then that is quite incredible. So we will have new bodies. This will happen at the last trumpet, the trumpet call of God. And it will be the beginning of a new age, a new age where the perishable body will become imperishable. Death will be swallowed up in victory. 
and I'm emphasizing something I said last week, saying it again. We will have new bodies. We are not going to be glorified amoebae, okay? We're not going to be that. You're not going to become see-through, <laughs> right? We will have somehow glorified imperishable bodies. That's as far as I can go. And then we really come to something I want to emphasize when it comes to the second coming. We meet the Lord in the air. We meet the Lord in the air. Now, when people speak about this, there's a lot of debate what this means. Here, I do believe it's meeting the Lord literally in the heavens and the skies. The word clouds is used to help us see that. I believe the second coming will be a visible cosmic event. George Eldon Ladd, one of the great American writers on theology, he's influenced me quite a bit in some of the works that came out in the 1970s. And he speaks of the event like this. The fact is that the hope of the church is not a secret event unseen by the world. The Christian hope is the visible appearing of the glory in Christ's return. The revelation to the world of Jesus as Lord when he comes with his mighty angels. It's going to be this cosmic event that we spoke about the soundtrack of last week. John's apocalyptic account is found in Revelation 1-7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Note, every eye will see him. That means every. <laughs> every in the Greek there means every. Okay? I'm a great Greek scholar. Every means every. Even those who pierced him, even his enemies will see him. Christians, non-Christians. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Here is the event where God comes in Jesus for his people. But it will be an event of wrath for those who do not know him. I will talk about that. This is a church we talk about what the Bible talks about. But I will do it in chapter 5, when we come to chapter 5, because it's clearer there. I'm noting it now. But the center of the event, the main event, is summed up in this phrase, to meet the Lord. That's the main event. That's what it's about where we can dis disagree with all how it might happen, when it might happen, but in the end, what's it about? It's about meeting the Lord. We must keep that absolutely central. So many people get hung up dogmatically on certain areas of theological controversy. And that's not a good thing. I guarantee in this church, 
that if we all got down to work out all the details of the second coming, I'm not sure that all of us would agree. <laughs> I know I'd be right, and those of you who disagree with me would be wrong. I understand that, and I've got plenty of grace. But the reality is, we don't always get everything. And I want to say, we're an imperfect church who are learning to deal not only with other people's imperfections, but our own. And you know, if you disagree with me on certain issues that I come up in the second coming, hallelujah, you're free to do it. As long as you've got scripture, <laughs> all right? As long as you've got scripture, you're absolutely free to do that. This is an open church when it comes to this sort of thing. But when we just hold to the details and argue about the details, some negative things happen. We begin to concentrate not on meeting the Lord, but on having negative attitudes to people who disagree with us. It can bring out the worst in our pride. I know this, I know. Do you know, if I think I've got something right, oh dear, I'm in unbearable at times. And you know, I get all excited about it and I become really firm, you know. And at times, at times there is pride there. I've got it right, but you haven't. And there's a danger in that. And it gives an awful impression to those people who are looking on. I was struck on Monday by a few pages in a novel I was reading. And I was reading an 1825 novel by James Hogg in the Gothic tradition, those of you who know about uh, the Gothic genre in novels. And it's called The Private Memoirs of a Justified Sinner. The Private Memoirs of a Justified Sinner. I'm reading it simply because we are doing Jekyll and Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson in our classical book club, which will be starting the second Monday of March at 7 o'clock on Zoom. And you are welcome to join with that. Give me this morning your email uh, address and we can make sure that you're part of that. But one of the th themes I love to do is I love to look at precursors of novels. What influences a novel? And there were a number of influences on Robert Louis Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. And one of them, of course, was this book written some 50 or 60 years previously. So I read it. Oh, oh it's fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. It was not a Christian book, although it's to deal with extremes in Christianity. It's a story of a bad marriage and its effect on two sons. And part of the problem is the fanaticism of the wife about what she believes. Her religion is one of arguments. She loves to argue over religion. And let me just read a little bit from this. It's in Victorian English, but uh, as some of us appreciate a bit of Victorian English every now and again. And the husband refuses to talk, he's had enough on scriptural arguments. And it goes like this. She was at a great loss for someone to dispute with about religious beliefs. Her husband had enough. He didn't want that any more arguments about the scripture. For she found that without disadvantage, 
Her reading and learning of scripture texts and sentences of intricate doctrine availed her naught or nothing. In other words, she was studying just for an argument. Reminds me of the Monty Python sketch about the argument, probably one of the great sketches in British comedy. This is not an argument, it's just plain contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I recommend it on YouTube. I haven't got time to go through it here. That's not my job, although I am tempted. But you see the point. When we just do things for the sake of getting the better of someone else, we miss the point. Because the point and the big picture with the second coming, I say it again, is to meet the Lord. That's what it's about. To meet the Lord. We are made to meet people. The book of Genesis says it's not good for, for us to be alone. We need relationships. Do you ever ask the question when you're in a, a party and a, a, a whatever, you said, who would you like to meet? Uh, what famous person, dead or alive, would you like to meet? It's an interesting question. Some of us might say a famous sport personality. Some of us would say, oh, I'd like to this author or that author. Someone would like maybe some key influential leaders or a movie star or singers or kings and philosophers or painters. And some of you would love to meet your great-great-grandfather because you're into genealogy and he could, he could just sort so many things out. We love to meet people. It's good. It's excellent. It's, we're created to be with people. But you know what's really, really good? When you meet people who've done something for you, sometimes it's a long time ago, but they stepped out for you and cared for you. Two people come to mind for myself. There's a number of people, by the way, but uh, these two, I'll just use these two as illustrations. One was my primary school teacher in, uh, I don't know what you call the primary school here, elementary school, excuse my English. <laughs> My elementary school teacher in the fourth form, which is probably the tenth form, but anyway, don't worry about that. Now I remember when I was doing my exams and I panicked. And it was a very important exam, I was 11 years old, and I panicked. And she saw me panicking, she walked up to me in the exam and she said, Don't worry, don't worry, Kevin, you'll be okay. Just that, that's all. Didn't help me, didn't, just, she saw my panic. It really helped me. I, I just, oh, I felt better. I was able to do the exam and I passed it. 30 years later, I was able to thank her on her deathbed for her help at that time. She told me, she said, I don't think I've ever helped anyone in all my life. <laughs> I said, I just want to say you helped me and so many others in the class. She read the Bible to us. Every day, every day. Inez Thomas. Inez Thomas. It was wonderful to meet her 30 years later, and she remembered walking up to me in that exam. Oh, she said, I saw you panicking. I thought, I don't believe this. <laughs> she remembered all those years ago 
because she cared. I tell you, I will meet her one day too. Again. Again. Thank my head teacher in the grammar school I went to. He went out of his way to get me to college. He went the extra mile to get me to college. You see where I'm going. <laughs> when you're going to meet someone who's done something for you, it's good. It's great. Last week I watched, rewatched Schindler's List for probably the fifth time. And it's an incredibly brilliant story. And towards the end of Schindler's List, and if you don't know the story, it's a story of a German businessman who saves over a thousand Jews from the Holocaust. And he goes out of his way to do that, endangering himself in doing it. And at the end of the film, oh, it's very moving. At the end of the film, you get the actors who play the part of some of these people walking into the graveyard where Schindler is buried in Jerusalem. And they walk in, and walking with them is the real people who were saved. And they come with their little rocks, and they put their rocks. You remember the story? They put their rocks. I tell you, I was bawling. Sitting there in my study at home, bawling. Incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. They were coming to meet a dead person, to say thank you to a dead person. And even that was moving. I want to say, we will meet the one who saved us. We will meet the one who was on the cross for us. We will meet the one who went those three years for us, who died for us and has given us eternal life. We will meet him in the air. Hallelujah. And if I'm excited, I haven't got an apology for it. Because I am meeting someone who's done so much for me. Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books. Prudence asks Christian, what is it that makes you so desirous to go to Mount Zion, heaven? Answer, why? There I hope to see him alive that did hang dead on the cross. <laughs> I shall see him. That's our hope. We will meet him. I'm quoting now. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. The second coming is partly about reunion. There's other things. There's been a relationship, yes, but now a new phase of that relationship comes in. There's been an engagement, but now it's marriage. There's been a glimpse, but now it's face to face. There has been faith, but now there is his presence. There has been hope, but now there is fulfillment. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see him face to face. And Paul says, therefore encourage one another with these words. This is not everything. We have to meet him. We will. William Williams Pantacalin, the greatest hymn writer ever to live, he's Welsh, 
Most of his hymns, Guide Me O Thou Great Jehovah, is one that English speakers would recognise. He speaks in one of his hymns of meeting Christ. I'll translate it and end with the, with the Welsh. Then I will be with him when the world comes to an end, and I will look in his beautiful face, which will look a hundredfold more beautiful. I will see him as he is. In Welsh, this is only for a few people. I can not carve for Gadagaf. Panel a bead are down. I get drich and I hovered with Ganharadach Nagorblan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a hope. A hope that is certain that we shall meet your Son who did die on that cross for us, rose again alive on the third day as a seal of what he has promised. Lord, we look forward to that day. Increase our faith. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.